All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 71, the Evgeny Malkin episode of the DFO Rundown. Frank Saravalli, welcome to the pod, my man. How are you doing? What is it, DFO hoodie day? I just didn't know it. You know what's funny? I think Ty's wearing his hoodie too. <laughs> yeah, but if if you if you yeah, I don't know. If I had known both of you had yours on, I definitely wouldn't have worn it. Yeah, well, at least you have a blue one on. So yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, it's I don't funny. Know that, Honestly, that absolves us from this fat sartorial error here. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't even talk we'll about it. classic. Well, wore the same hoodie. <laughs> Starting you know what, this though? show, it's comfy, man. I'll tell you right now. This is one of the and you know what I like about it is because the hoodie's tight around the neck. I hate the floppy hoodies; they're the worst. Oh, you like the the choker. Well, you know, a little bit, you know, tweets okay. their own. So it's okay. all good. Hey, uh, there's lots going on. The, uh, the Kachuk, uh, the Kachuk family, pretty happy as uh, Brady Kachuk signs a pretty big deal with the Ottawa senators and uh sense fans. It seems uh, the reaction all pretty positive. Is it? I mean, I, I, I think they're happy to have him. I think they're not sure about the cap hit. It's almost yeah. $8.3 million once you factor in the fact that the deal was signed after. It's a little CBA wrinkle that I love. The deal being signed after the opening day of the season slightly changes the AAV. So what's important for the Kachuk family is $57.5 million for Brady. He's a wealthy young man. And what's important for the Sens is that this is done by opening night. He's in the building. He signed. Yeah. And... You can get him on the ice as quickly as possible. This isn't something that lingers. 
for a franchise that, as Scott Burnside wrote on dailyfaceoff.com yesterday, it really starts, it helps starting to shed the label of dysfunction because, you know, there'd been so much talk over the last number of years about Eugene Melnick and his impact on the franchise in such a negative way. And I think Pierre Dorian has tried his best uh, dealing with the cards that he's been dealt, um, you know, trying to navigate around some of the different restrictions and things that are in place. And so holding firm on getting Brady Kachuk on a long-term deal, seven years. And then in addition to that, no signing bonus money, you know, to me, when you watch the Sens, he's the heartbeat of that team. He's the engine. He's the guy that drags everyone else into the fight. And Oh, by the way, he's only going to continue to increase in terms of his production as he gets more and more comfortable in the NHL. Um, you know, I think this deal makes all the sense in the world for a team that has so much runway with their cap space to now achieve cost certainty with their best forward. Yeah, I look at Kachuk and I, I do believe that in a few years, you're going to see a much more complete version of him. He's a pretty big man. He's still very young and there's still the kind of that, that filling out your body and just getting to maximize the strength. And I think that's what you're going to see in the future from Kachuk. He's a heart and soul player. Uh, I think his skill level will continue to improve. Um, you know, Thomas Shabbat might be more valuable to the team because of the minutes he plays. But I really look at, at, at Brady Kachuk and, and Stutzel as kind of a duo. And Stutzel in the future, I think, is going to be maybe the more offensively gifted of the two. But Kachuk's a player who will complement him very well and then definitely protect him. So I, I agree with you, Frank. I think it's a signing that Ottawa needed to have. There hasn't been a lot of positive things in that organization for a while. So they got that guy signed. They got Batherson signed. They've got Shabbat signed. Obviously, Stutzel will, will have a few more years. I mean, before look at the guys they have coming. Like, I love yeah. everything that they're building there. Josh Norris had a fantastic year last year. I think Shane Pinto's an under-the-radar Calder Trophy candidate for this season. Uh, Jacob Bernard Docker, all these other guys that they still have coming in the pipeline. You know, you talk about Sanderson being elite of the elite uh, on the back end and Tyler Boucher that they grab in the first round this year. I mean, this team, it, they have every positional box checked, it seems like, and, and lots of depth at those positions as well. It's almost like a matter of time. Can, you know, how quickly can we develop these guys and get them here and turn our team around? And they're obviously going to make a big step in that direction this year, winning their first game against the Leafs, uh, although a little bit in fluky fashion on their opening night. Um but to move forward, like where do they slot in the Atlantic division this season? How close can they get? Yeah, I, I kind of see them as six, maybe fifth. Uh, maybe they can move up to fifth, but I think it'd be harder to, to go any higher than that this season. Uh, we'll see. Now, uh, crazy night, kind of the first really busy night of the National Hockey League season last night. Nine games played. There was an average of 4.1 goals per team last night. Uh, you had uh, 30, the power plays combined across the league last night, Frank, went 30%. Right now, it's funny though. The, the teams in the East had way more power plays than the teams in the West. Right? Seattle and Vegas and Arizona. You know, they're like getting two or three. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had nine power plays last night in that Florida game. Is kind of crazy to watch, but. Lots of goals early on uh, last night. And you know what? Robin Leonard said it like Vegas. It's very early, but man, in two games, they've kind of looked meh. Yeah, I, I mean. I could see it. I could kind of see it coming in that sense. Like, yes, I picked Vegas to win the division, but there were a lot of changes there. And you take out a heart and soul guy like Flurry, it leaves a dent. It's left a dent on their fan base for sure. 
I, I didn't really understand the Evgeny Dadanoff acquisition, given the team has limited cap space. Uh, perhaps I'll be proven wrong on that one, but you know, I think there's some question marks as much as I'm a fan of Robin Leonard and, and what he's doing off the ice about his ability to carry this team for 50 plus games this season. Yeah, well, their team defense last night uh, was not ideal. And hey, how about Anze Kopitar? Anze Kopitar just shredding them. And you, it was interesting, the Kings' whole strategy when they brought in Philip Deneau was that they felt it would open up Kopitar's for some more offensive situations. And for one game, they were looking like geniuses. Kopitar was unreal. Yeah, it's funny you said that because I, I, uh, I flipped on NHL Network this morning and I'm watching the highlights. I go, wow. Philip Deneau paying immediate dividends, even though he's not the guy scoring the goals. <laughs> Just funny to think about his impact and lessening uh, the matchup requirements, the ask of Andre Kopitar, and to open up all of that offensive flow that he had in his game two, three years ago. To see that back again, even just in one game, a little flash is certainly encouraging for Kings fans. And uh, Bertuzzi, uh, four goals. I guess the, the only negative about scoring four goals on opening night is your team loses. Like that's uh, yeah. Matthews, now him. It's, it's kind of an odd stat to think. And uh, I'll say this about Tampa Bay. Right now, they are the best team when they pull their goalie. There's no question about it. They're, what is that, four goals now with the, uh, the goalie? Yeah, how many on? did they? They gave up at least two against Tampa, uh, against Pitt. Uh, three. Three, actually, yeah, against so, Pitt. So but, are, are but, they? I mean, they're, yeah, well, they, well, they are, well, they're, they're actually minus one for that first game. So yeah, but when you work? score, when you score, Frank, that many goals, six on five in two games, obviously it's easy to give up a goal because the guy just has to shoot it. And especially, did you see the three empty netters? Like most of them are from Pittsburgh side of center. I'm just saying That's, right now, six on five, Tampa Bay, like obviously the, I don't think they're happy with how they played in the first 55 minutes of both of those games. But, um, you know, Detroit, I, I don't know if that's going to be a microcosm of their season, but they should have won that game. They're up 6-3 with six minutes to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and look, when you look at um, the only thing I really like about it for, for hockey fans is just John Cooper's willingness to try. Yes. To, to pull the goalie that early. I mean, you saw it. It was like six minutes and five seconds left in opening night. And like he, you could tell Sean McDonough was calling the game on ESPN. He hadn't called hockey, I think, in 15 or 17 years. And he's like, whoa, John Cooper. Like, I guess he wasn't expecting it. And, you know, the analytics say the quicker you can get the guy out of there when your team's out of it by multiple goals the better off, the better chance you have. And so when you saw them score right away, you're like, okay, this makes sense. And, and look, I'm always a big fan of pulling the goalie early because what's the difference if you lose by two or if you lose by five, like it doesn't, as long as you're losing, it doesn't matter, but at least you're giving your team a chance to get back in it. And uh, Seattle Kraken, of course, uh, you see it in the WoodJersey.com uh, studio. It's our new WoodJersey.com, and I think it's fitting that we have the Seattle one up because uh, Seattle, welcome to the NHL on two fronts. They get their first win last night against Nashville, and they have their first for their fan base controversial call that goes against them. They didn't like it. And I really don't think it was clear that it was a, a, a kick in goal for, uh, for Stevenson uh, in the Vegas game. I th if it was called no goal on the ice, I don't think there was enough to overturn it. It was called a goal on the ice. I don't think there was enough to overturn it, but uh, quite a, quite a 48 hour span for Seattle fans, a tough loss and then a big win in Nashville. Yeah. And look, all the excitement just to see the, the post-game locker room video, Dave Haxtell congratulating the guys you saw before he even walked off the bench. He's like, puck, get the puck. Uh, they're going to frame that one somewhere. And so honestly, uh, I was super impressed with the Kraken this week. 
you know, not just the win in Nashville, but also what they dealt with in the 48 hours before their first game in Vegas, such a tough place to go into and play anyway, but the COVID situation and then to be out of it and come back, um, you know, down three, nothing to claw your way back into it. That really said a lot to me about this team, uh, about the group that they have assembled and no one knows what's in store for this team this season overall. But if you fight like that and you care like that, I think that's that's going to help that team immensely. Oh, uh, no question about it. What did you make quickly of uh, Gary? By the Batman? way, can we talk quickly about the the kick goal thing? Like, yeah. every goal like the Stevenson goal should be in every. It should count every single time. Well, you know, the Western Hockey League has that rule. If anything that's not, you can kick it in as long as you're not in the crease. So anything from outside the crease, kick in motion's allowed. It's very clear, right? So the only time it's going to be debated is if a player has their foot in the crease. Like to me, that's an easy rule if you want to implement it. Because I'm with you, Frank. If, if suddenly guys at full speed can pretend they're Pele or Alfonso Davies uh, for a more uh, recent reference... If they want to do that, I'm all for it. Because it's not like suddenly we're going to have guys yeah, out I don't there know trying to quite kick want, goals in. Well, yeah, to, to use your own reference, I don't know if we want guys paling out there, you know, wearing skates. But, I mean, I think teams noticed that that situation in the Vegas game with Stevenson because you look at the Sens-Leafs game last night, they did not challenge. Uh, they were like, hey, perhaps we saw this goal uh, that was allowed in Vegas yep. and, and – there's not really any point in challenging. No, and I, I'm with it. I'm with you, Frank. I don't, I, to me, it's kind of a skill play. You know, it's smart. You're thinking uh, on your toes, no pun intended. And uh, you redirect it. You lift your fit, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm all for it. I, I didn't, I, I know Seattle was upset about it, but I, I didn't think it was, it was egregious by any stretch. I know that the rule's probably a little bit gray in how it's worded, but you could easily solve that by adapting the WHL rule. I mean, the rule book is purposely vague. I think that's everyone's consternation and issue with it is <laughs> it's written that way on purpose. A lot of things could be cleaned up if they just cleared up the language. Yeah, well, that's very true. Hey, let's welcome in to the woodjerseys.com studio. Uh, Tyler Remchuk joins us for another rip-roaring edition of Buy or Sell. Just another guy wearing a hoodie. Yeah, and I was really debating taking it off because I was like, oh, have, okay. You don't want to be that guy. Well, I mean when we all got on the call, like, I mean, why did, why do I have to be the guy who changes? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, um, <laughs> buyer sell is brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash, where you can use the promo code rundown DD. If it's your first time using the app, use that code, you get 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Let's jump right into buyer sell the Brady Kachuk deal. I saw, you know, a few people took the chance to uh, kind of crap on the senators and say, ah, there's, there's no chance he plays out that entire contract there. They're going to end up having to trade him at some point. I'm going to say Brady Kachuk does play out the entire new extension with the Senators franchise. Frank, you buying or selling on that? I'm buying. I mean, it sounds funny to say, but seven years goes by in the blink of an eye. They're going to take another two to three years to really get towards where they want to get to. And I think in three years time, the Sens are going to be legitimate Stanley Cup contenders. And they're going to be that way for a, a number of years, which is going to keep him glued in there trying to chase that prize. Legit Stanley Cup contenders. Wow. Yeah, I like 100%. It. That team is going to be really, really good. Okay. All right. I like that. Yeah, I, I think he's playing it out. How often do teams sign young guys out of their entry-level deal to six, seven, eight years, and that player gets traded? It's it's pretty rare. Something, <clears throat> Jack something, Eichel. Yeah, something, <laughs> well, the, the, but if Jack Eichel doesn't have this surgery, 
right? I really yeah. wonder. All right. So um, that's that's a rarity, though. So I would say. Like, hold sure. on a second. Hold on. We, we have to talk about this. We can't for a get second. too sidetracked. Can, yeah, we're not going to get sidetracked on buy or sell. But if there was ever a situation in terms of dysfunction that a player was entering into, like there were probably groans in that family, Brady Kachuk getting drafted to the Ottawa Senators franchise. I'm just going to throw it out there. Just a wild guess. And so he ends up there and it's not all that different than Buffalo and what they've been going through. And yet here we are, the, the Sabres not able to shed that, that um, the issues that they've had. And, and now Jack Eichel's on his way out the door and he was an even more highly touted, highly paid player. Yeah. Wow. I, the Sen, the Sens haven't signed Jeff Skinner. And I like the, the Sabres free agent signings might've been the worst, but we, I digress. Fair enough. Uh, our second question here. I was really impressed with the ducks in their opening night victory they get a chance to go two and oh tonight i'm gonna say you know this young core mason mctavish trevor zegris jamie drysdale i'm gonna say they surprised us this year and they are still in the playoff hunt to come trade deadline time gregor are you buying or selling no i'm selling um i don't get too hyped up on it uh i can't remember the last time an all youth movement really worked i understand what they're doing now john gibson was great in their opening game and that's maybe the the only sliver i would give i think anaheim's got some young pieces coming for the future but i think once you get into the heart of the season and the, and the players get the, the veterans get ready for nhl hockey i don't see anaheim in the playoff mix come trade deadline yeah, I'm going to sell as well, but I will say this. If they're anywhere close, like even within striking distance in March, then Dallas Aikens should be certainly in the conversation or maybe the front runner for the Jack Adams because yeah. I just don't see it with this roster. Fair enough. Two goals for Alex Ovechkin in his first game of the season. I'm going to say he gets to 50 this year. Frank, you buying or selling? Selling? I think he gets – I had him at 44. So, mm. um, look – Great start for the great eight. I just, to get to 50 again, it's it's a ton of consistency. It's no nights off. It's difficult to do. It's why he hasn't, he's he's had a ton of them, but, you know, they sometimes he goes a year or two in between and the shortened year and all those things. So, I don't know. For me, uh, I think he's right in that 44, 45 range falling just short. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to buy that he scores 50. A, because I love uh, 50 goal seasons. B, I'd love him to see him tie the all-time record of most uh, 50 goal seasons. Kind of got screwed out of it with the uh, the shortened season a few times. So uh, I will say that Ovi gets to 50 because uh, he finds a way to continue to stay healthy. Yeah, that's been really one of the more remarkable parts of his career is how consistent and healthy he's been. As a horse. Yeah. I'm going to give you guys an over-under question for number four. Over under three and a half 50 goal scores this year. I'm going with the over on this one. I think it could be Ovi, Matthews, Pasternak. Maybe Dreisaitl gets into that mix as well. Maybe there's another guy floating around who can get to 50. Gregor, over oh. under three and a half 50 goal scores. Well, at the start of the season, I said four. So I will, I will go over. Keep in mind, uh, according to Leon Dreisaitl, uh, McDavid's fluffer. He's been, uh, he's been working on the one-timer. <laughs> and uh, I think Connor McDavid is one of those guys who scores 50 goals this season. Yeah, I think might. there's a real emphasis from 97 to, uh, to become a better goal scorer, which is funny to say, considering he's fifth uh, most goals in the NHL the last five years. But uh, he will get 50 for the first time. Uh, you know, it's funny. The first, when you rattled off your names, Tyler, McDavid was the first guy I thought of. I'm like, well, if he's going to get to 151 points like I thought he is and predicted he will, then he's probably going to have to have a 50-goal season in there as well. So uh, McDavid, Pasternak, Matthews, yep, maybe Dreisaitl, uh, and then 
what if you throw an Ovechkin into the mix? As Jay yeah. says, it could easily be over that three and a half. And I think we have more 100-point scorers this year than we have had in the last number of years. The last player I want to ask you guys about, I don't think he's going to get to 100 points, but I'm going to say Anzi Kopitar takes his five-point performance on opening night and rolls that into a season in which he will be a point per game or better. Frankie buying or selling Kopitar over a point per game? Yeah, I mean, I'm buying that. He's what, 7% of the way there already or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, 8%? Like, I don't know the math, but he's uh, obviously off to a great start. And honestly, he hasn't been, I'd have to take a quick peek at, at his last number of years, but he hasn't been that far off yeah. from getting to the uh, to the 82-point mark anyway. So, um, yeah, I 50 and 56 last year, that was pretty darn close. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy that. Point of game player for sure. I think the LA Kings, they, they are one of the teams I feel is going to surprise this year and be much more competitive than they have been the last few seasons. And Frank and I alluded to it off the top. The acquisition of Deneau is really going to allow them to play Anze Kopitar in many more offensive situations. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see what the change in as far as his offensive zone starts is this year compared to the last few seasons. So uh, definitely I think uh, he's an 82 uh, plus point player. There you go. That is another round of buy or sell brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. Jay, I'm going to have to ask you, because yeah. I mentioned it there with Ovechkin, as a man who spends many a day at the farm, does healthy as a horse, does that actually mean something? It does. Um, healthy as a horse, it's a great farm saying, because usually you know, horses can live 23, 24. We had a horse live till he was like 26 one time. That was my mom's uh, favorite. And I, you know what? I don't... I don't recall in all my years at the farm of ever really having a horse come up lame. I had to, you know, I had to vaccinate cows, lots and different things, but man, horses, as long as you feed them a little bit of apples and carrots every now and then, uh, they're fine. So healthy as a horse is definitely, uh, I believe as a farm guy in my own experiences, uh, it's accurate. And, and Ovi is definitely being that, that guy is, you know, availability, dependability are so crucial outside of skill set. Because if you look at guys like, what would have Mary Lemieux done if he, had, you know, didn't have the back inj injuries? And then, of course, obviously cancer. But that's, you know, that's a little bit different. But if you just Maybe look at the his best player of all time, uh, he like, might have been. I, I, some people already say that he is. Even, you know, with all due respect to Wayne Gretzky, that Mario Lemieux, they think, was a better player. Well, I think it might have been. I think Mary Lemieux might have had more natural skill because he was six foot four. But I think Gretzky got the most out of his ability consistently. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. He also had a run where for the first six, seven years in his career, the team wasn't very good. Yeah. And no. had to do a lot of it on his own. Yeah, that's true for sure. And um, I know I saw a stat. Someone was putting out like what Merrill Lemieux's point totals would have been if he had like just his points per game and just averaged that over 82 games. And it was still pretty ridiculous, but he still only had 200 point seasons. And yeah. um, that's what's kind of crazy. Like like Wayne Gretzky at times, I find he's so dominant that people try to find holes in his production to say, well, it was the 80s and they scored more. I'm like, yeah, I'll take nothing away from him yeah. at all. Yeah. No, no, I'm not saying you, but I do find that some of the younger generation, they, they try to find things. Oh, look at this. I'm like, all you got to do is compare him to his peers. Mm -hmm. No player in any generation ever dominant. Like he used to win the scoring race by 80 points. 
Everybody yeah. else played in the so-called watered-down 80s. They, he was scoring 200 points, and other guys were getting 120. Like, it was ridiculous. Yeah, and, and not to dive too deep into it again, but I just thought it was really interesting, his point, as he was asked again about Ovechkin's chase of his record of goals. He, he was like, no one really thinks of me as a goal scorer. Like, he said, yes, I scored a lot of goals, but he said, I was known more as a playmaker and a passer. And so... For me, he's like in terms of my, he didn't use the word legacy, but that has to be sort of the trend and what he was thinking is in terms of how people view him, he said it makes sense to him that Alex Ovechkin would be the greatest goal scorer of all time because of how difficult it is to score goals now. Yeah, and that's fair. Oh, I agree. I look at Ovechkin and what he's done is amazing. I do think our perception of goal scorers, because Gretzky's right, like he didn't have the one-timer like Bossy or, you know, or Brett Hall or Ovechkin, right? He, he didn't really score like that. And so I think, uh, you know, Gretzky kind of thought his way to a lot of goals. He was in the right position. At times, like everybody remembers his, his goal in the playoffs over Vernon's shoulder coming down the left wing, a rare slap shot from him top shelf. Those just didn't happen very often. And I think our perception of goal scorers is always like, you got to have power with it. You got to have a great one-timer. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, it's more flash, but Gretzky, when you score as many goals as he did, like you have a nose for the net. It's, it's the great adage about there's no pitchers on the score sheet. And at the end of the night, it doesn't matter how, how many you, how, how you do it. It's how many. And he was to me until someone scores more, he is the greatest goal scorer. He's not the most dynamic goal scorer, but he's obviously the greatest goal scorer until Ovi passes him. I just think Ovi already is the greatest goal scorer of all time. Yeah, it's so wow. it's infinite in his era to do now. for sure. Because yeah. it's hard. Oh, you're right. I, yeah. You're right. The goaltenders have improved. Overall, There's you no look question. at some of the goals that they scored on those guys in the eighties, like yeah. it's like how many times do you see a goal from the top of the circle? That that hardly ever happens anymore. You see yeah. that once every like five games now. Well, the goal is you you know, the goalies used to stand up all the time, too. That was the big Whoa. difference, right? It's just like now, game. Once the butterfly came in, it was it's a lot harder to score on the ice. There's no question about that. Uh, we got a really good guest today, Frank, coming up uh, in uh, as we welcome to the program, courtesy of uh, ESPN Plus, our big guest of the day, brought to you by ESPN Plus. They become the must-have for hockey fans. Great broadcast. And you can get access to more than 1,000 out-of-market NHL games and 75 weekly national games all year long. Plus, stream thousands of live events from the best leagues and the biggest tournaments in the world, exclusive originals, the complete 30 for 30 library, premium articles and fantasy tools, and more with ESPN+. Plus. Sign up right now at ESPNplus.com slash DFO. And now we welcome into the WoodJerseys.com studio a gentleman who was an 11th round pick. They don't even have 11th round picks anymore in the National Hockey League. He played 18 years of pro in the AHL and then in the NHL and is now just being named the assistant general manager of the Nashville Predators. Scott Nickel joins us. Scott, welcome to the DFO Rundown. How are you doing? Good, guys. Appreciate you having me today. Well, that's a uh, 11th rounders, man. That's that's a great badge of honor to have because you just don't have it anymore. Um, so uh, before we get into to your new role as a GM, I just kind of want to talk about how, you know, you played seven years in the AHL and the IHL before you became a regular NHLer. You did play five games, I think, in those first seven years in Buffalo. Just kind of talk about the grind, Scott, of of continuing to battle where, you know, a lot of guys don't want to play seven years of minor pro. Sometimes they go to Europe. What kept the dream alive for you of the NHL for seven years in the minors? 
Well, I, I think my first few, well, I was 11th round draft pick, so I knew I wasn't going to, I was just grinding to try and get a contract. I didn't even <laughs> talk to Buffalo till the, the end of the year. And I think, you know, we had a really good team in Portland. We had the dead marshes and Jason Weimers and Kale Hulses and you name it. Like we had a really good team did well, never heard from Buffalo all year. And then all of a sudden they called me and I don't know, June said, Hey, you want a contract? There wasn't much negotiating. So I said, sure, I'll take it. And there was my foot in the door. So I was five foot eight back in that era of 94, I guess, 93, 94. There were some big boys. So I was very happy they took a swing at me and, you know, um, just grinded it out. I Brent Peterson was a huge part of, of my, of me getting drafted. He played in Buffalo, played in Hartford. And then he kind of, I think the janitor was sweeping up and Buffalo came up to him and said, Hey, um, how's the Scott nickel kid? And Petey's like, you got to take them, pump my tires. And they ended up taking me. And, uh, it's a funny story. He, uh, he called me, Buffalo didn't call me. He called me, left the answering machine message on the answering of the old school answering machine messages. So I, I wasn't even at the draft. I was out doing something and he, he comes to me or he leaves a message say, Hey, Scotty, it's Petey. Give me a call. He got drafted. I was like, sweet. So I call him. He's like, you got drafted Buffalo. And he's like, don't embarrass me. He says to me, I'm like, Hey, thanks for the vote of confidence, Petey. <laughs> so no, it's all, it's all good. Just hung in there, just grinding, just battle. Just, you know, my first year was just getting used to the American league and just trying to be an everyday pro. Uh, I think as a young kid coming in, I think your second year is always the hardest year to establish yourself because you know, you're not the shiny new toy. You're not the rookie. You have some expectations. They've also signed some free agents. They've also got their draft picks. So in my experience, that was my hardest. My, my second year was the hardest year. And we had John, John Tortorella as our coach my second year. So uh, he brought in a lot of his guys. Like I said, I wasn't a very big, big player. So I had to be patient. Like I probably didn't play till maybe November. So I was just kind of hanging out, practicing and we got some injuries and we didn't start off very well. And then we ended up winning the Calder Cup, and then I was our line was a huge part of that. So, and then every year I just kind of got tried to, you know, gain more confidence, go to another camp. Like I was thinking just the other day, I think I've been to like twenty three NHL camps. Like just going through it through your whole process every year, you got a little bit better, gain a few more exhibition games. Um, my first year, no exhibition games. Second, you just try and, and just climb the ladder that way and stay patient. Your uh, two of your former teammates, uh, Nathan Dempsey and uh, Jason Strudwick. Uh, I guess you guys uh, ran a lot of fun in Chicago. They told me that they they, you, they used to call you the little ball of hate. Uh, you know, you mentioned you're, you're five foot eight. Uh, did you have to play like? Did you create that persona to realize if I'm going to survive, you know, I got to be an angry player? Yeah, I think you always have to draw the line in the sand at some point. Like you can't get pushed around. We all scored goals at ju in junior hockey. Uh, and then you got to figure out how you're going to survive in the American league or the NHL and how I survived. I wasn't going to score in the, in the NHL. I'm not, I don't have that kind of skill set, but I do have some kind of skill and I can play energy. I really focus on our face offs. Brent Peterson was fantastic for that. So you have an identity, you have a role. I got to play the last minute of the game, six on five, five on six, because I could win a face off. I could kill penalties. And then, you know, it's at the end of the day, you're all entertainers. So you have to entertain and um, do some things that maybe some people don't want to do. And that's what kept me in the league.
662 games, Scott, quite an accomplishment. I'm wondering, just given all that that you spoke about and your path to the NHL, how much do you think that helped you immediately then transitioning to uh, director of player development for the Preds, starting out off the ice and in the front office, just all the experience that you had and, and sort of dealing with all types of different players that come through your organization? Yeah, I think that's set. I think my last probably four years, I was pretty much player development as a player. You know, I came from, you know, I've gone through it all. I have had both my ACLs redone. Uh, I had my shoulder done my first year, my first three years in pro. So that was, I was already like, man, this is hard. I couldn't stay healthy. I, you know, the style that I played against the big guys, I would just go all out and I just get banged up. I couldn't, I couldn't play a whole season. So as I got kind of stronger and more mature and I kind of picked my spots a little bit better, I was healthy. And then, you know, I, like you guys said, I played seven years in the, in the American league. Um, my last year in the IHL I actually had an IHL contract. I didn't have an NHL contract in the, the following year Calgary called and um, they offered me an NHL contract for two years. And I was 20, probably five years old and, um, good experience. Went to the color cup final three years, three of my six years in Rochester. And I knew this was my last kick at the camp. So I was like, okay, well I poured everything into it that summer, came to Calgary. Um, I beat Jerome again out for the fittest flame. And right then the guys were like, who's this guy? They signed me probably be the captain of the American league. And I just had a great camp. Um, Calgary didn't make playoffs the last few years. Greg Gilbert was the coach. They were looking for a spark and it was just like, kind of like, and I was a Calgary kid. It was like a perfect storm. And, um, back then that was Chuck Kobus, who was our big guy coming out of, out of junior. He didn't sign with Calgary that year. So that opened up a spot. If, if Chuck would have signed, I probably wouldn't have played a game in the NHL. It's so funny how things kind of evolve and you have to be lucky to make it. And there was a little crack in the door and I took, took advantage of it and, um, I never, you know, the only time I got sent to the minors after that was for a little conditioning stint. So it was a good run for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, congrats. And, um, we're glad to have you with us here, but I wanted to ask you, you know, just not even thinking back to when your career first started, but even since you've been off the ice and started in player development, how much has the player development game changed? Like, you know, it used to be before you send these guys to the minors and, you know, off you go and have a great season. We'll check in with you occasionally to now there's constant contact, constant dialogue. And it's not just the guys that are in your system. It's also guys that are with their junior team or with their college team that there's probably someone either seeing them in the building and in person quite often and if not talking to them multiple times a week no yeah it is it's all about communication yeah i think the, the the young guys now they just want they want dialogue they want to know where they stand where they're at what's going on and um when i first started david Poyle retired in st louis he called me and asked if i want to do player development marty jelena was our our guy before that and he went to calgary as assistant coach so um, I, I loved it. I thought it was a, is a great gig. I got to live in upstate New York. That was kind of our house. we had a house in Rochester, New York, and then I could just fly in and see our young draft picks in college and junior over in Europe and just, you know, build a relationship, build a trust, build that they're part of our foundation of our organization because they are. And we just kind of go and you know, the first few years were a little tough because I didn't know the players very well. It took a, a while to build that 
that um, camaraderie, I guess. And then seeing these guys go to the NHL, see them progress, see them get bigger and stronger and more mature. And, you know, now you see them getting married and having young kids. Like it's, it's a fun process to see how these kids grow and um, get better. And it's just, it takes a lot of people to do it. Like you forget, you see, okay, uh, whatever, Ellie Tolvin and he's making, he's in the NHL right now. But you forget how many people touch him along the way between the player development guys, the Milwaukee guys and the minors, your agent, your skills coach, your skating coach. Like there's a lot of people that help him get there. It's just, you don't just airdrop these young kids into the NHL. Scott, how important is it for players to feel like they've got somebody on their side? Because I think, think you talk to, like, excluding the the elite of the elite, a lot of guys, you kind of need someone that, that likes you as a player and, you know, maybe goes to bat for you. You mentioned uh, Peterson, it was that guy for you. You know, as somebody in player development, was that a part of the job is to make sure the players know that they got somebody who really believes in them? For sure. That, that Even, like, I think that's why we have our development camps as well. Like we never, I never had a development camp. So you bring these kids in and they get to know the trainers. They get to know the head coach. Uh, they get to know our management team. They get to know all the Milwaukee staff or your minor league staff. So when they do come in out of say college, like the college kids don't, sometimes they won't come to our training camp for three or four years because they can't because of the NCAA rules. So all of a sudden they're 23 years old and it's their first training camp and then they're expected to make an impact at it it's hard it's so that's why we have development camps so when they do it's kind of like a little bit of a gradual stepping stone the first year at development camp they're you know a little shy like everybody and you're just kind of figuring things out by the their third development camp they're usually leading the camp they're usually um one of the the leaders or the the guys that kind of take over so then the next progression is they come to main camp with the big boys you know, play little rookie tournaments. So um, it is, you always want somebody on your side, somebody you can talk to, somebody that's, you know, a familiar face that you can kind of lean on because it is, it's a hard business. It's hard to, um, every year there's seven, eight kids getting drafted in your organization and they're trying to knock guys off in the NHL to, to get contracts. You mentioned how you beat out Jerome McGinley for the fittest flame. I'm sure that must have been a good little chirp that you were able to throw back at him every now and then. He's ultra competitive. But, yeah. you know, we, a lot of times people say, you know, he's in the best shape. And, so, and some I find some people kind of mock that. Well, what does that even mean? But can you talk about the importance to a player when they come to camp to see how, like when you saw yourself as the fittest flame, like I'm, I'm assuming that was like, okay, I know I put in the work and for somebody now who's in management, how much of that is just a, a like a subliminal messaging where all of a sudden you're just like, Hey, look at this guy. Like he's put in the work. That doesn't mean he's going to be an NHL player automatically, but how much does the, 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 uh, the test results influence the management? Well, I think, in this business, the only thing you really can control is how good a shape you come in, right? That's really all you can control. At the end of the day, somebody's going to beat you out of your, your job. It's inevitable. Like the, the leagues getting younger and faster and, and father time catches up. So I think the, the only thing you can control is that. So you come in, even mindset wise, you come in, you're prepared. You're like, you know, what? I put everything into it. At the end of the day, if I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. You know, and it also shows management that you're, you know, you're committed. We're not looking over your shoulder saying, Hey, you got to do this, this, or this, like you come in, you have a, 
an attitude, a swagger, you have confidence, you have a routine and, and you just go for it, you know? So that it, it does, it, it doesn't carry like the whole weight, but it does kind of add to your profile. You know, like sometimes, you know, you're going to struggle if you don't play, you only have two practices and you have a, and you're, you usually have your first exhibition game. So, you know, it gives you probably a little bit more leash where if you come in and you're, you're over, you're not in great shape, you know, it's an easy excuse for coaches or whatever say, okay, this guy's not prepared or he didn't do enough. So I tell our prospects, our young guys, that's the only thing you can control, control how you come into shape. And then we'll see from there. So Scott, the Preds announced on Monday that you were promoted to assistant general manager. You've been the GM of the Milwaukee Admirals the last few years. Tell us more about your new title. Is it same sort of similar role, just getting the additional title? What does it mean? Yeah, I think it's pretty much the same role. Um, so I'm still going to do our uh, director of player development. I'm going to look after a Milwaukee team and then uh, maybe travel a little bit more with the big guys. Um, but yeah, it's, we have a really good management team uh, between, you know, Brian Coyle, myself, Jeff Kelty. Jeff Kelty does a lot of the, all the amateur and pro stuff. Um, Brian Coyle does a lot of the contracts, a lot of the business side. Uh, we have a really, we all bring a little bit different. I'm kind of more of the, just the hockey guy and, and David just oversees all of us and lean on him and listen to his stories and his experiences and just trying to be a sponge and just, you know, try and take it all in. So it is a really good group. Um, I, I've loved it. It's almost my management, I guess, path has almost been like my hockey career. You know, I started as a player development. I was the only player development. We had one guy and I'd be bouncing around all over to see all our kids. And then it just gradually, David's like, Hey, why don't you come sit in the pro meetings? Hey, why don't you come see it in some of the amateur meetings? Cause these are the guys we're going to draft and you're going to have to, you know, take over. And then, um, when Paul Fenton went to Minnesota, they're like, Hey, do you want to run Milwaukee? So that's my first time in like that kind of management side of things. And, uh, so it is, I've just been kind of, you know, we have really good people in this organization and, um, it is a little bit like a, it's really like a family oriented organization. David's been here since day one and, um, he trusts, he trusts people and lets them do their job and, yeah, well, we make mistakes, but we also learn from them. So it's been it's been a really good ride for sure so far. Given that you touch all those different aspects, as you've seen a little bit more of it, aside from player development, obviously you really like that part of it. Is there something else that has caught your eye that you really are interested in in terms of the management side? I, I love building a team. Like that's part of it. And I think that's the um, – on my side where I get to see our young prospects, but I also get to see where they fit in into our team in Milwaukee, you know? So you have, so I think kids, they have to have a special, they have to have a special, and they all do because they've been drafted and they do real well at their level, but they have to have some kind of identity. They have to try and separate themselves. So we try and, you know, with my position where I can see these kids, their foundation as a youth or a, an amateur player and where they come into, into pro, they don't really change their, foundation that much you know we're just trying to make mold them and just trying to guide them into you know the element that they have or the the skill set what makes them special um so that's that's what i i, I enjoy building the team it's uh it's fun uh it's fun to see them kind of all come together your vision and where where it goes and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad 
Scott, you, as a player, you knew what you had to work on to improve, right? Every summer, you're probably working on some different thing. Hey, at, at very minimum, I'm going to come in in great shape. What do you work on in, in management? Like, how, how do you self-evaluate to know you're improving? And are, are there what are the areas that you've wanted to improve from, you know, from player personnel to now as assistant GM? How do you work on those things? Probably mine would be patience. Like, I want it to happen now. Like, if I want to go after a guy, I want to sign right this second. I want to get him in the lineup. I want to, but that's just how I'm wired, and that's how usually most hockey players are wired. Like, such a result-based business and – you know, and the games and we play 82 games. So that's probably sometimes I just got to, you know, pump the brakes a little bit and just kind of step back. And that's where David's fantastic. And um, we talk through it and nothing's really made on a, on a, like a whim or anything like that. Everything is, it's amazing how much we talk through every single scenario, every trade or everybody who gets sent down or called up or it's people on the outside don't understand how much time we put into that. Because at the end of the day, everyone, you're a person, you have a family, you got kids, you got kids in school. Like it's not fantasy hockey or fantasy football. It's like you're really every decision you make, there's always repercussions and because of it. So um, that's something that I try and you know work on every day. When you look at the Preds organization, because I think a lot of people, when they think Nashville, they think like defensemen and, and goaltending factory, right? It's been like this never-ending line of quality developing defensemen. Um, is there, can you put a reason as to why the Preds have been, have been so much more successful on developing elite D-men compared to forwards? I don't know. It's uh, I don't do the draft, but it's... It's a good question, but we've had some really good leaders on the back end. If it goes from uh, teaming into, and we had Shea Weber, Ryan Suter, like we've always had some kind of the, like a staple or, or a guy that a pillar on D that could teach somebody like Shea Weber taught Seth Jones, you know, Seth Jones got to lean on Shea Weber. Shea Weber got to lean on uh, teaming in. So it's like, uh, and then now with the Ekholm signing and the OC, now these young kids of the Fabros and the Carriers, they can lean on those guys and pick their brains. So it's just been it's been a really good constant wheel, I guess you could say. And uh, it kind of has insulated those those guys because it is it's hard being a D man in the NHL. So I think that's that's a huge part of it. And um, yeah, we do a, we do a really good job drafting and uh, developing the D man and. Uh, so yeah, it's sad to see some of the guys that we've had move on and do well because they have done a good job for sure. All right, Jay, let's play a little rapid fire with Scott. Okay. Now, before we get to that, Scott, I just want to ask you quickly. I always like to go back uh, many years to, uh, to your first NHL goal. Do you remember it? I do remember it. Yeah. Against the Detroit Red Wings. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, some guy... Hassock, maybe Dominic Hassock, maybe. <laughs> what a flex that is! <laughs> so, just tell, like, tell me about that feeling after seven years in the minors. It was, you know, you you had your first NHL assist in Game Three that season for Calgary, and then it's your fourth game of the year. It's in Detroit against Dominic Hassock, obviously a Hall of Famer now. Well, like what's the emotion either at the time or maybe after that game and and regardless of what would have happened the rest of your career how big was that goal for you it's funny how the hockey circles go around because dominic hassock was my roommate in buffalo because oh. nobody else wanted a room with him so they put the young kid rookie kid in there <laughs> so 
funny how it all kind of comes full circle, but yeah, I don't even know why I was on the ice. I think it was like a five on three or something like that. Or, and they give me, threw me out there on the, on the, on the ice. And I think it went off my shin pad to be totally honest with you and went in. So I'll take them any way I can, but I want to say maybe Rob Niedemeyer and Dean McCammon might have assisted yes. on it. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I was curious about, you know, how Scotty nickel after seven years in the minors, his first NHL goal is a power play goal. So there, I wanted to know the backstory. I didn't, I didn't know. I was looking at your minutes. You weren't necessarily a big PP guy, but there you were against Hasek scoring on the power play. Just a great coaching move, I guess. Who knows? <laughs> All right, Scotty, we like to play rapid fire where uh, the only rule is you have to answer the questions. Okay. All right. So uh, if you're going out for, uh, you know, after a game or something to Tootsie's, what's your uh, beverage of choice? Bud Light. Bud Light. Okay. What is the, the number one advice that you give to all young players at their first camp with the Predators? Uh, just be yourself. Play your style. Don't try and play anybody else's style. You're here for a reason. Hardest part of evaluating pro hockey players from a scouting perspective. The other team's pretty good too. They have good players as well. So, so you're saying that like when you're watching your guys, you have to keep in mind that the other team is, is just as good. I do. Yeah. Like when I see our guys, how we, we played last night or, uh, even just like on face-offs, like I, I take maybe because I played in the league, but it's the NHL or it's the American League. There's really good players on the other side of the puck as well. So um, I like to gauge our guys against who they're going against. Small player in today's game compared to a small player like Scotty Nickel in the in the '90s and the 2000s. The game has definitely changed, but it's still you know size can be an advantage. What's the most important thing that small players need to have to be successful in the NHL? Uh, speed, probably, um, quickness, agility, just dog on a bone mentality, get it to play inside the dots. Like, uh, you can have a big, big guy who's soft. I'd rather take a little guy who's got some jam and juice who'll play underneath and play inside guys equipment. If Scotty Nichols playing men's league hockey, is he still the little ball of hate? I hate Scotty Nichol as a men's league hockey player. I'm like everything I despise, sauce through the middle of the ice, backhand everywhere. Yeah, it's ugly. So I retired. <laughs> Were you? Did you retire because men's league just isn't as competitive as we were used to playing and it was hard to dial it down? Hi, I just, I played a long time. I, I played Thursday nights in Rochester with Randy Cunningworth and a bunch of guys. So I was just like, one year and then I was done, but it was fun. It was fun to, it's a good transition after, but um, no more coach the kids instead. Okay. What's your, if you could only pick one Shea Weber, Ryan Suter, who is a better predators defenseman? Thanks. I'll take Shea Weber today. Just, <laughs> I, maybe maybe it's because it's the golf thing. Everybody wants to drive the ball 400 yards. So maybe just because I want a 120-mile-an-hour slap shot, maybe that's why I picked Shea Weber. How much would, like, if you see a guy block a Shea Weber shot, do, do you automatically scout? Does he get a higher scouting rate just for the lunacy of willing to do it? Yeah, I think he needs a personality test for sure to see he's got all his marbles there. But, yeah, that's just the way it, it – it, 
even back then, in the old days, like you had one guy that blocked shots. Now you got everybody, you got everybody blocking shots now from your best players to your fourth line guys. So the game has changed. Is the game better with so many block shots? It's harder. You know, it's harder to get shots through. There's so many layers. Um, and then you got a pretty good goalie who's six foot six that takes up a lot of the room. So I don't know if it's better, but uh, it's a, it takes a lot more skill to get a goal nowadays than ever did. There's a lot of nicknames. They call it Nash Vegas. So for, for any fans who are listening and they're going to take their first road trip to come watch a game in Nashville, what are the two must things they have to do outside of the game in Nashville? Go to Broadway and then probably have some hot chicken. That's pretty famous here. Ooh, hot chicken. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. Uh, we really appreciate it. Congratulations on the new gig. And uh, if it's anything like your playoff career, we'll probably be talking to you as a GM sometime down the road. All right, boys. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Good luck this year. Thank you. That was Scotty Nickel joining us on the DFO Rundown, brought to you by Fantrax. And before we go, Frank, uh, breaking news, Charlie McAvoy, eight years, 9.5 mil. The D-men across the NHL are getting paid. Yeah, once we saw that Seth Jones deal this summer, that sort of rewrote and set the bar on terms of where everyone would land after the fact. And Charlie McAvoy, uh, certainly in that sort of conversation and category and obviously the Boston Bruins see it the same way. Well, a big thanks again to uh, Scott Nickel for joining us and uh, he'll be a name to watch Frank uh, down the road guy who's put in his time working his way up the ladder. And uh, those are the type of guys become assistant GMs. You know, he mentioned Fenton and there's others around the league. Don't be surprised in a few years that uh, Scott Nickel is, is a GM for a, for a club, maybe even uh, when Dave Poyle eventually uh, retires for the uh, Nashville Predators. Uh, thanks as always, Frank. That's uh, the DFO rundown. Frank, have a great weekend and uh, we will talk on Monday, a weekend, the first regular season week. Weekend, uh, there'll be lots of stories to break down. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful, because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you gotta predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.